Hello and welcome to the England Athletics podcast. Joining me for this episode, someone who is in a very exclusive club of British athletes to have won Olympic, World, European and Commonwealth titles. That includes five of the latter in the colours of England. It is, of course, Sally Gunnell. Three decades on from winning 400 metre hurdles gold at the Barcelona 1992 Olympic Games. We'll start with her first years in the sport as a junior athlete. What does she remember and what convinced Sally to keep pursuing the sport? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't the best junior athlete. I didn't get loads of junior internationals or anything like that. But I think I just loved being part of Essex Ladies. I loved the trips that I started getting on for you know, South of England or just the progression up that I had really. And it was sort of my, my social life, you know, I love just, I just love rocking up for training nights and seeing all my friends. And I think that's what sort of kept me in it. And I guess as I started to sort of reach 18, 19, something like that, I was then starting to get the trips away. And I just used to remember thinking, oh, I can't wait to the, the fun of the last night. Yes, we used to compete and we you know, had the ups and the downs, but also it, I think what kept me was the actual trips itself and the fun that we had and the parties that we had afterwards and things like that. And that, I think that real tricky sort of age of 18, 19, that, that's what it was all about. And did you have any particular role models growing up, maybe sporting role models, maybe female sporting role models? Yeah, I think all the way through um, I had role models and I think it's really important. You know, I remember watching the Olympics and Daly was on, Daly Thompson, and just thinking, you know, wow, wasn't that amazing? Um, And then Shirley Strong, who was sort of in the 100-metre hurdles in those early days, got a silver medal in, in the LA Olympics. And then she was, and then of course you're you know, you're running against her and you're trying to beat her. So that was always interesting. And then then I sort of moved into the 400 hurdles. So of course Ed Moses was was incredible at you know winning. To me, it was about you know he he won over a hundred races consecutively, and, and I know how hard that is. So I think he was for a long time. And then yeah, it just it just keeps changing. But I think even now, you know, I, I'm very much in the corporate world, and there's some amazing women that you know are running organisations and and the balance between working and. Uh, children and all of these sorts of things is incredible so I think it's really healthy too. What are your memories of your first international call-up the first time that you got to wear you know a Great Britain or even an England kit? Yeah I'm I'm just trying to think back I I remember the first few like first major was a world championships after the Commonwealth but but all of them all of those early days were, were very scary very daunting didn't do particularly well. Yeah, I was sort of overwhelmed by the whole procedure and, you know, the magnitude of some of these big championships. I've never seen so many people. And, and yeah, I was, I was definitely not the most positive of juniors by any means and probably not the most talented at that sort of young age. But, you know, I look back now and it was... I learned so much from those early days, you know, and and just so important to have experienced those, to have been that athlete that I was, you know, later on. Kind of takes me on to how did you deal with pressure as an athlete? Because mental health is a lot more part of the conversation nowadays, but maybe it wasn't at the time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was to learn to like the pressure. Pressure was always on in every race. I got to that point where actually um, the best races I did, the more pressure that was on, the better I performed. Sometimes, you know, the races that I wasn't quite up for or there was no one else in the race or whatever else, I didn't really perform. So I think I learned to love that pressure. Um, I learned that it's a natural thing and actually can get the best out of ourselves, you know. And, and I remember being really nervous for, you know, sports days or, you know, junior sort of like you know national championships or whatever else but that is all part of it and and knowing it was going to be there and, and it was about getting that mindset and then using it as a positive really and then leading on from that obviously you know I always say the difference from coming fifth in an Olympics in Seoul to to winning or getting medals at that high level is is all around the mindset and you know that visualization preparing yourself knowing what to expect and yeah rather than just rocking up I think in a lot of those early days I used to sort of sit on my bed the night before and I might think about my race but the difference was I would think about it you know for Barcelona probably 12 months before not all day not every day but you know quite a lot of the times I would allow those sort of scary thoughts because it is you know it's scary to rock up for an Olympic games final when you know you've got a chance of winning and you don't want to race again you know you don't want to lose it but I just and it's very easy to think I worry about it when I have to do sort of thing but it's too late by then so I think the thing I learned is that yeah to mentally prepare yourself see yourself what executing that race or what you're trying to do and then to you know to visualize yourself crossing the line and winning and how that would feel and stuff so yeah very very powerful part of who I was and, and my success as well. Good life advice generally to imagine everything going well, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um you can see your Barcelona 1992 kits. Let's talk more in detail about the day of the race. What are your memories right from waking up that morning? Probably the longest day of my whole life. I think I was running about half seven that night. Um didn't sleep particularly well, which is normal. So you know I started putting it in a good place. It doesn't matter. You can snooze all afternoon I don't think I really did and then just try to chill and read and but your mind is just constant and I just remember thinking I just want this day over and done with you know there was no aspect in there that was like you know I can't wait or you know bring it on it was more like let's just get this thing done Linford Christie had obviously won his gold medal so there was a there was always a bit of a part of you that if he can do it I want to do it I don't want him to have all the glory almost and we were always like that a little bit in case if you just wanted to get on with it you know I'd done everything you know I had nothing else I could change and I think that's a very positive place to be I've eaten well I've trained really well I'd raced up to it and I knew what I had to do and um, but you are you're still nervous and you're still fighting that inner voice of you know all day going oh she looks really good and your back's achy and you're a bit tired and God, she looks great over there. You know what I mean? It's all those sorts of things. But that is the bit that that process of the years before had got me in, that that's normal. You have to control that. No one else can. So I sort of really was, was on top of it and always now turn things into a positive and just have to keep finding that positive. You have to feed it in. You have to, you know, say, you know, train hard. I deserve it. You know, I'm just as good as everybody else. So just execute it. Just go and do this thing. You know, you stand on the start line 
I, I don't know. I knew I, I had an opportunity and I knew that I was in the best shape and I just had to do it. And I think, you know, I don't really remember much of the race. And, and I always say this, that the two races, the, the World um, Olympics, I just went into that autopilot. I just ran. I don't remember anybody else in the race. I don't remember the drive pad. I just, just, because I knew, I visualised and I knew exactly what I had to execute. So I just went and did it. And it was just incredible because that only ever happened twice in my whole career. And, um, you know, it wasn't something that you could just switch on and off. It had to be the pressure and expectation and that mental preparation to get you there. And then to cross the, the line was just like unbelievable and disbelief because, you know, you just go, how can I do that? Because I'd always always put myself down, always thought I was never good enough. And then you go and do something like that, that you have, you've dreamt of for absolutely years. And um, yeah, incredible. And even now still, I go, God, did I really do that? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed you did. And you also, of course, won all four of the major titles. What did that mean? And, and just give me some sense of, of the impact upon your family as well. Some of the moments that you would have had when first seeing them after winning a title yeah I mean the, the Olympics was the first championship that my mum and dad had ever been to they had left the farm they never leave the farm in in August it's, it's unheard of so it was amazing to have them in there and to actually find them in the stadium when I'm running around which was incredible I think the feeling afterwards is it was disbelief for a long time probably good couple of months that you could not believe that I'd done this and and, you know, you've done that visualisation, but nobody prepares you for being an Olympic champion and how you, your life does change overnight and people want a part of you. And then going forward for the next couple of years, it was it was a different pressure. It was um, you didn't want to let people down. So I think it was almost like the Olympics was about, you know, you did it for you and your team of people that had formed. But the bit I had to get right the next few years is that, you know, I felt like I was doing it for the nation because everybody used to say to me, you know, you, you sent me to bed with a smile on your face and you're like, God, I've got to go and do this again. So to come out the following year and, and break the world record and win and I wasn't, you know, 100% a bit of a cold. Um, you know, there's a few things against us and to do that. And that was all around the power of the mind and belief and, yeah, just shutting those negative thoughts out that got me to do that again. So, but, but I think by the two years, all of a sudden you're like, well, I am okay. I'm I'm pretty good at what I do. You know, and it almost needed to take, it wasn't just the Olympics, I think it needed to take that sort of worlds and, and that world record to actually signify what you'd had actually achieved and for it to actually start to sink in almost of what I'd achieved. And then obviously the, the next year was Commonwealth again, but also that, that European championships. And, and by then I was, I was a different athlete and much more positive, much more confident. And that was what I wanted to achieve was those four major championships. A really good reminder that there's a, a human being inside what on a TV screen and you hear the commentator say, and Gunnell gets the gold, David Coleman. <laughs> um, what you think is a superhuman, but actually, you know, there's a lot of real emotion going on there and building confidence. Taking that in mind, what's your advice for people to get motivated and exercise who aren't professional sports people who've just watched yourself and others 
on TV, regardless of age, I'm thinking? I think it's about finding something you enjoy. So if you don't like running, don't do it, you know. Um, go for a walk, go on a bike ride, do just find something, Zumba classes or whatever. So I think you're more likely to stick to if it's something that you really enjoy and you have fun at. And, you know, that's why I stuck at it in those early days almost. I think that's really important. And I think the other thing is, you know, I, I still, you know, will set myself little goals and little challenges. And, and, and I think that helps to have a vision and you know what the end is and what, you, you know, it might be a sponsored walk or a park run or something. And then I love the process of getting yourself fit with friends. And that's a really good way of going out there and trying to achieve it. Yeah. You know, have to find an hour. If only you've got 10, 15 minutes, you know, I'll still go out and I'll do a few hills in 15 minutes and run up and down a few hills and, and I'm done, you know. So it doesn't have to be always time consuming. It can be fitted in uh, wherever you can. But I just think just what exercise does to your your mental health, your, you know, your natural endorphins. And I think it has to and it should be part of everybody's life, whatever your ability, whatever your shape, size is whatever there's something for you out there working from home could actually be beneficial for people who have you know 15 minutes is more flexible on their time could be helpful yeah totally I sort of say you know without 15 minutes I don't know put the kettle on and you can do you know five exercises a few squats a few press-ups you know all those sort of things in five minutes it doesn't have to be you know or lunchtime walking out and yeah, I think there's there's so much you can do. It's, you just have to think in that way and, and allow yourself to think in that way. I'll tell you what I do. It's it's because I always feel when filling petrol, you know, I'm just literally standing there yeah. <laughs> doing nothing. What can I do with this minute? I always try and do some stretches while filling up petrol. It does make me look weird from across the forecourt. Yeah. <laughs> but who cares? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> also, when you fill up your tyres with air, you always have to lean at awkward positions, so you're stretching anyway. Um, <laughs> you're justifying it now, aren't you? Why are you looking weird at the fall call? <laughs> yeah, indeed. So I suppose we, we can't not speak about the 400-metre hurdles in the last couple of years and, and how people have struggled to find words, really, for, for the development of, you know, Carsten Varholm and Sidney McLaughlin and others. What's been your, your take on that? Is it just a demonstration of how, once you get used to the event year on year you can continually make big improvements yeah I mean that's what I love about 400 hurdles you know it's so technical and you know I always describe it as a as a battery and the more efficient that you can run around the better and the faster that you can you can be almost and it's just finding what that efficiency is and I just think it's incredible you know and then and when you get it right, you can see, you know, those guys are just not so much off. Uh, and the amount of strength and ability and speed they've got at the end of those races, that's that efficiency that they've created in that first part. You know, I just think it's a great event. And I love watching it, you know, when, it, when it's done right. Um, it's a beautiful event, you know, and I always think it's got so much to offer for so many people. I think so many people are scared of it because it might hurt if you get it wrong. But when you get it right, um, there's no better feeling whatsoever of, of just, but it takes time and you have to be consistent and it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, the amount of times that I stuttered into hurdles and whatever else, it's, uh, there's no other race like it where you get, you get the more wrong than you do right. That's for sure. <laughs>
Well, that's the thing. You have to have a certain amount of nerve because if you hit a hurdle, you'll you'll know about it, right? Yeah, but, you know, that was part of it. The amount of hurdles I'd hit over the years, you know, doing 100 hurdles. I had a permanently swollen knee, you know, right knee from hitting the trail leg and whatever else. But, you know, you still learn. And, um, yeah, you've got to be pretty tough. Brilliant. Well, it's been great to to chat to you and just find out about some of those emotional developments that you went through as an athlete how you've taken that in and and now sort of trying to inspire others to make the most of their potential so far as exercising goes I I know it's something that's important to you lovely well it's a great pleasure to chat to you all the best thanks to Sally Gunnell for joining me for a chat if you have a look at sallygunnell.com by the way lots more fitness tips and advice for people of all ages and abilities There's lots on the England Athletics website too, including a piece about the new year bringing new opportunities to help shape athletics. What I'm referring to is the fact that there are 36 seats for election across nine regional councils. So it could be a really rewarding role for you or someone you know. The main thing a regional councillor should have is a passion and enthusiasm for athletics and running at a local level. To explain more about the roles... Here's Adrian Day. He's the chair of the London Regional Council. Our role is to act as a sounding board for athletics and running community in London. We listen to that community. We're also a communicator. So we we take messages from EA, EA's proposition, programmes, initiatives, and we, we feed those to clubs and members. Taking that on board, we can only do that effectively if we represent the diversity of the of the athletics community in, in London. So firstly, we're better able to understand the issues that we need to understand to, to communicate to EA. How can we understand the issues of a young athlete doing the Southern Athletics League? How can we understand, I mean, I, I'm thinking of Helena, who is a para-athlete who finds it very hard to get any competition. So how do we know what her priorities are without having her on the um, on the council? So it's you kind of couldn't do your job if you don't reflect the athletics community, whatever that community um, happens to be. Some other benefits, there's some of it's just the sort of different energy and dynamics you get from having different people. There's a different a different vibe, if you like. When we have events, when we do, we have got an outreach program with with different clubs. Um, so, example, we've got the volunteer volunteers award it's kind of nice the london young volunteer of the award getting an award from previous winner who's a councillor ishmael who's a young volunteer the shape of the council does need to reflect the makeup if you like of the athletics community my predecessor the first one or two sort of underrepresented groups brought on devonte who's 23 year old coach he was suggested by paul who's who's an older counsellor he brought him on from the same club so they feel that they're not walking into a group of strangers and I think and it's the same with Helena coming along I said come along that isn't sustainable we can't just have people who know people already on the council but as a first step that encourages them to feel more comfortable we've done some things I'd like to think the sort of culture and the behaviours in the council I mean certainly very supportive every counsellor is is equal everyone has airtime I encourage airtime but I suspect there's things we can do about the council structure and the way we run things that modernise it a little bit. Unless you think athletics and running in England is, is absolutely perfect and there's no room for improvement, then I think 
someone should consider joining because you know, we, we are about improvement and change and we need people's ideas and thoughts. So, so we're the voice of the sport. Um, we do influence England athletics on key issues, coaching, facilities, officials, competitions and so on. So if you see anywhere where things might be different or improved or you have concerns, then consider joining um, the council. Certainly my experience in my six years it's a friendly, positive environment. It, it is very, it's very equal. It helps you learn more about the sport as well as giving your points of view. It actually, I, I, you know, I'm on, of the view that if you're doing something, actually it's more enjoyable when you, you learn more about it. Also helps you help your club because you have knowledge and insight that is passed to the clubs, but you have first hand of it. So it allows you to take a different role in your club, you know, athlete, coach, official, or, or whatever. So it can help you make a difference. And I think in the last five or six years, I've seen that with councils. They've, they have changed. The EA have made a real effort to give us a, a clear purpose and role. And like anything, you kind of get out what you put in. And the, the more you put into the EA council, the more you, your club, and the, and the, the sport will benefit. Well, anyone wishing to stand needs to submit their nomination between January the 23rd and February the 24th. More information is available online, as I say, at englandathletics.org.